Steve Thompson in for Henry Lake. Uh, Henry, a little under the weather. Chris Tubbs is our producer, normally in on Saturdays here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. Big local sports news today. Eric Kendricks and Minnesota Vikings part ways. And as you heard a moment ago, Matthew Collar from Purple Insider joins us. Matthew, it's been a while. How you been? I am really good. How about you? Yeah, good. Uh, the Kendricks news uh, comes out today, and uh, anybody who follows the Vikings uh, probably not surprised by this move because, number one, the defense for the past few years hasn't been very good. Minnesota Vikings have major cap issues to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Uh, like you said, their salary cap situation is not good, and uh, the I won't get into the specifics, but there are adjustments to each team's cap based on things that they gave out, like roster bonuses and so forth. And the Vikings actually have less cap space than the actual salary cap. So it's even worse than you thought it was. Um, and they were going into this having to make somewhere in the range of $25 million just to get cap compliance. That's not even to fill out their roster and to fill all the spots and to sign the draft class and everything else. So they probably have to make in the range of 40 to 50 million in cap space. So this is the first domino to fall. They create nine and a half by moving on from Eric Hendricks. And I think anybody who watched the team over the last two years probably felt like Eric Hendricks was not the same level all pro that he was in the past where he was a dominant player. And I don't think that he fit very well in the defensive scheme. Not that a lot of people did, but I, I think that we saw just a little bit of that decline, you know, if part of your game is being lightning quick and you lose even a half a step, then you're not the same player anymore. Um, but at the same time, I think it is a gut punch and maybe one that uh, fans should prepare themselves for more of to, you know, Vikings fans who have watched Eric Kendrick's career. I mean, it's not just that he was an all-pro, but also, you know, one of the great human beings that they've had in this organization. I mean, when the ownership is putting out a statement from releasing a player, um, recognizing his community efforts and what he's meant to their organization, you know it's something. Like, you know that this is a significant player. So he will be missed. I mean, that's a, that is a heart and soul type of guy that really sets a standard for an organization in a locker room that you don't just draft in the second or third round or something. I mean, it's, it's not easy to replace someone like Eric Hendricks. Yeah, and as you mentioned, this is the beginning. We brought it up earlier in the show tonight, and that is Adam Thielen is another name that comes up, and Harrison Smith is another name out there. These are very popular frontline Vikings and have been for a long time. But the reality of this situation is the state of this defense over the final two years of Mike Zimmer's tenure and, and really in the first year of, of Kevin O'Connell's tenure was a major problem. They weren't good. And ultimately, you, you got to change out some of the veteran parts. You know, the money is a big part of it, but also the fact that they just weren't very good defensively as a unit. You got to make changes. Right, right. And this is kind of the natural progression of how every team works in the NFL. I mean, this is why it's so hard to be an NFL general manager is that you're always dealing with the problems of how much do you pay people and the fact that people get old very quickly. I mean, in Major League Baseball, you'll probably see a, you know, a steady decline or something like that from age 27 or 30 or whatever down. Um, but, but, you know, baseball players can still be good into their mid-30s. 
football players, they often kind of hit a wall, and you're not sure when that's going to happen. Even Quasi Adolfo Mensa said the other day at the Combine, he said we can only really project about two years out for player performance, and even that's extremely difficult considering injuries and, and you know how age impacts different people. But I, I, you know, I think you're right to bring up players like Adam Thielen, Harrison Smith, uh, Delvin Cook is another one. Yeah. Even Zedarius Smith's contract situation opens up for the realistic possibility that they could move on from him after a very good season, but uh, that's a lot of cap space they could create, and his second half of his season wasn't all that great. Um, Daniil Hunter would be a guy that they might take trade offers for. Like By the beginning of training camp, we might need to distribute rosters throughout the Twin Cities for people to know who's on this Vikings team. I think that's a very realistic scenario, but there's also the scenario where they don't want to really go all in on rebuilding this roster and, and overhauling many parts, and they try to work something out with these guys. I just think that we've done that so many times and sort of seen the same results that it's probably time to, to start that process of making this roster Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell's rather than having it be kind of half of a Zimmer-Spielman roster. Yeah, and we, we brought up Adam Thielen. Here is local hero, uh, born and raised in Minnesota, played at Minnesota State. We all, we all know the story and the backstory. We've heard it many, many times. But another big decision. What do you do there, and how do you handle it? Um, Eric Kendricks, terrific Viking career, great guy in the community. Adam Thielen, you, you add the fact that, you know, in, in, in some ways kind of a local legend on top of it, and that doesn't make it easy, and how they handle that in particular is going to be very interesting. He's from Minnesota, huh? I, you know, I haven't yeah, heard yeah. that. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that, that is news. <laughs> no, uh, you know, the Adam Thielen thing is very interesting to me because, you know, his, his cap hit is really, really big. But they can restructure it if they want to. It's a matter if they want to because that doesn't help them down the road. Every time they do a restructure or something like that, uh, you have to pay the bill later, and they've been doing that many times, which is how you end up in the cap situation that they are right now. But there also seems to be a, a vibe that Adam Thielen feels like he wasn't used enough last year, which is kind of odd to me because if you're Kevin O'Connell, like, aren't you dialing up most of the plays to Justin Jefferson, the world's greatest wide receiver? And, you know, I know Adam Thielen's a great competitor and he would not be here if he wasn't. But I also think, man, I mean, I don't know. He got 70-something catches last year, over 100 targets and he feels like he wasn't a big enough part of the offense, that, that is a little bit strange to me, but also might just indicate that the time is done. It's always better to move on one year too early from a player like this than have it end up being contentious or sad or frustrating at the end. I mean, if they let it play out with Kendricks and then he didn't play well and it was expensive and fans were unhappy, like it, it can get ugly, as you've seen many times with veteran NFL players. So if he's not happy with his role – uh, they should probably just move on, call it a day, and say thanks for the memories. Someday you'll be in the ring of honor. Yeah. Matthew Collar joining us, Purple Insider, on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Big news today, Eric Kendricks. There is a lot of work to be done as the Vikings put themselves into a position uh, to make some moves in free agency and remake this defense and this this is something that you and i talked about once upon a time i i know you've 
written about it a great deal. When it was clear they were going to move on from Rick Spielman and, and Mike Zimmer, there was a thought that maybe now is the time that instead of trying to rebuild on the fly or, or, or stay competitive or stay in the mix, that you kind of tear down and, and, and start over. Clearly, ownership has no intention to doing that. But you're still walking a tightrope here that, you know, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, and some of the pieces you put together offensively. But if, if you go through another season where your defense flat out isn't competitive, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I don't know if you have uh, looked at their opposing schedule for next year, but <laughs> it has Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, the Eagles, the 49ers. Uh, I don't know who's playing quarterback for the Packers, but, you know, a couple of times against the Detroit Lions who had a top five offense next year, it's going to be way harder as a schedule. So they could actually play better and still end up with the same numbers. And with no cap space and no draft capital, how is it supposed to happen? I mean, I, I think that Brian Flores could be better at his job than Ed Donatel. That's a low bar. But at the same time, when you're playing all those great quarterbacks, it's going to be really difficult. And that's where, you know, Kwesi Adafo-Mensa has talked a lot about timelines. And I think that it's really important in the NFL. It might be the most important thing is to understand when it's your year, when you need to take a step back and plan for the future. And that doesn't mean tanking. And Kwesi said, you know, he doesn't like tanking or that idea of tanking. And that's totally fine. You're not in a position to tank when you have Justin Jefferson. You're going to be a good offense when he's on your team. But it does mean living in reality and understanding where you are and not sacrificing the future to try to get minimal gains. I mean, this year was really exceptional to get 13 wins. But, you know, at the end of the day, they kind of made a lot of sacrifices to keep the team together for a first round out in the playoffs, which we kind of all thought was going to be how the season played out when it started. So I think they need to, you know, maybe learn some lessons from that. And some of the, you know, some of the sacrifices they made, too, were to keep players that didn't really perform that well last year. I mean, yeah, I think that it is very vital to them that they do walk that tightrope of not locking themselves into, say, Kirk Cousins long term, having flexibility there, which was a word Quasi used at the combine about the quarterback position, and being in a spot where you know maybe next year or even this year, if the right opportunity comes across, they could try to draft a quarterback and rebuild this thing. I, I think it's time, and I think that you know the vibe I've gotten from Vikings fans too is that everyone's sort of ready for this. Like we saw the whole Zimmer and Spielman era. We've seen the whole Kirk era. We kind of know how this goes. Now it's time to really hit the reset button here. Uh, I wonder if, if the Wolves and the, the current leadership with the Minnesota Vikings are going to look at the Derek Carr signing down in new Orleans today and go, wow, the price of poker, uh, for, a reasonably good quarterback, and I, I, I kind of put Derek Carr in the middle of the pack guy. Not the the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, but I, he's certainly not a top ten guy either. And the New Orleans Saints wrote a pretty big check uh, for for Derek Carr and a fair amount of. And, and I wonder if they're going to say, you know, we really don't have a plan B when it comes to quarterback. And could that lead to Kirk Cousins getting that extension that? may not be a good thing over the long haul. Yeah, yeah. The Derek Carr and Geno Smith extensions today really tell us what the price is. And now it's kind of up to those two sides to decide if that's what they want to do, right? But especially the Vikings, in my mind, is that the price you want to pay? Because 
Derek Carr is a very, very similar quarterback to Kirk Cousins. Most of the time throughout his career, he's been kind of 500 quarterback with a few pop-up seasons. And like you said, he's probably not in the elite, but he's also far from terrible. He's certainly a good quarterback. New Orleans is a better team, but are they a real contender? Probably not with Derek Carr, and that's how it's been with Kirk Cousins. If the Vikings want to do the exact same contract with Kirk Cousins as Derek Carr, they probably can to give him a multi-year deal at somewhere around the range of pushing $40 million a year. But we kind of know where this road takes us. And the other factor, though, that is different between Carr and uh, Kirk Cousins is Kirk is older and by, uh, you know, an, 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 in like a significant amount of years older to the point where a lot of middling quarterbacks in their careers that aren't Rodgers and aren't Brady usually do start to fall off at about age 34, 35, 36. Even someone like Matt Ryan or Eli Manning, who are really good quarterbacks, this was about the time that they started to slip. So as the Vikings are making that projection and trying to figure out, like, do we want to lock ourselves into Kirk Cousins, they also have to consider that element of it too is, do you want to sign any quarterback that's this age that doesn't have a Hall of Fame career? It feels more like that they would play this out and just let him you know, run the contract to the end than it does that they'll sign him to a Derek Carr deal. But we also don't know where ownership stands on this. I mean, sometimes in the NFL, the ownership says that's our guy and we want him as our quarterback, and then the front office has to do it. So I, I honestly don't know which way that's going to go. All right, one of the other items we wanted to bring up, get your thoughts on the combine. It, to me, there, there's probably so much tape and, and so much – out there about every player that has the potential of being drafted or, or getting a sniff in the NFL, is is there value in the combine at this point? Yeah, no, there, there, there is. There definitely is. And I know I, I saw Dan Campbell, who is just so much fun, say, like, <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it's not the underwear Olympics, it's the tape. And, of course, it's the tape. I mean, you know, you're going to judge the guy on how he plays football way more than this. But at the same time, you know, college football is not like the NFL. It's not like all the teams have all great professional players. So there's a lot of context involved to figure it out. So, you know, maybe it doesn't matter for the guy who's going to be the, the top draft pick that everyone knew he was going to be the top draft pick anyway – but if you're a potential, say, like third-round pick and you show the NFL that you can run at the same rate, at the same speed, and jump as, as high and, and have movement skills similar to Power 5 guys that have a ton of tape where they're playing at Georgia or something, I mean, I think that that can put players on the map. I also think that it can confirm a lot of things, that there's a lot of studies that will show that certain types of players that have numbers at the Combine – uh, that they struggle in the NFL or that they succeed in the NFL, for example. And so I think that it makes sense from the NFL's perspective to try to get a look at these guys and say at their numbers and say, all right, is this, this is going to change how we look at the odds. And plus there's the interviews, which I think we all agree were, are really important. And the medical stuff is extremely important um, when it comes to the draft for the teams. I think that the players may someday – say we're not doing this anymore um, because it is a, like kind of a little weird just for the players to have to go uh, compete like you know like Campbell called it in the underwear Olympics to prove yeah. that they're worth drafting um, but at the same time you know somebody like Anthony Richardson shows up 
and shows that he wants to compete and prove that he's the most athletic quarterback of all time, like that, that does shape your, your perception of him. Like, wow, I mean, this guy not only put up those numbers to show that, which really sets a ceiling that he could be you know, a superstar in the NFL, but also it shows a level of seriousness about the career and stuff. So I think for NFL teams, it is still very important. Um, but, you know, maybe players at some point are going to get tired of having to jump through these hoops in order to get drafted. Well, Matt, you always phenomenal stuff. Purple Insider is the place. Matthew uh, covers his team uh, year-round, and it, it is amazing. It is a year-round business. Once upon a time, there, there, there was an off-season. Not anymore. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, good to visit with you. Thanks. Yep, thanks, Steve. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, joining us here on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Eric Kendricks, uh, given his walking papers by the Vikings, certainly not uh, – the last. He was the first. Won't be the last potential uh, big name leaving town with the Vikings as they try and rebuild this thing in the fly. Quick break. We have more Lake Show coming up here on News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. If you are a serviceable quarterback in the NFL, you've got to be licking your chops. Geno Smith Three-year, $105 million deal with the Seahawks. Um, Nice year. NFL's comeback player of the year. But Geno Smith, three years, $105 million, $52 million in the first year. And then uh, with Matthew Collar, a Purple Insider, we brought up Derek Carr's contract. You know, Carr's fine. But I don't think he's going to win you a Super Bowl. And he's getting a ridiculous amount of money with the New Orleans Saints. And I had heard, and there's a lot of numbers thrown around, $60 million fully guaranteed at signing. Another $10 million once he starts year three of the deal. Uh, he'll earn $60 million in the first two years of that contract. But it could be worth up to $150 million and up to $100 million in guarantees. We'll see about that. It's the NFL. We talked about that out of the gate. You know, the, the length of the deal and, and the total potential rarely happens. But still, a guy like Derek Carr uh, or Geno Smith, who, don't get me wrong, had a really nice year in Seattle in some way, somehow, Got the Hawks into the playoffs, but uh, imagine if you're an elite quarterback like a Joe Burrow or Josh Allen. Crazy, crazy money. And then, of course, hanging out over all of this, what's Aaron Rodgers going to do? And the Baltimore Ravens and... Their quarterback situation, uh, what are they going to do about Lamar Jackson? So the money the quarterbacks are going to get, it won't be long before the elite quarterbacks are getting $100 million a year. I kid you not. we got the weather coming up, and then uh, we're going to talk baseball. Dan Hayes at the Athletic in a moment. I, I, I'm still trying to right the ship after that forecast. 
plowable snow again this week. More over the weekend, and then more next week. Oh, stop. Anyway, uh, we, we do have uh, the boys of summer in spring training, Grapefruit League, Cactus League. I, it's been unseasonably warm down in Florida, and it was really enjoyable, and it's super enjoyable, particularly on the weekends, to be out and about. I was on before uh, the twin spring training game on Saturday and then on after. So, uh, Shaletta had the day off. So, I was on between 11 and noon. And then the Twins game took over. Ran some errands, had the ball game on. It was actually pretty pleasant. And then Sunday wasn't bad early in the day until that uh, snow moved in. But uh, spring training is is good. And it'll help us uh, get through uh, the coming snow event later in the week. By the way, uh, Twins had the day off and it's it certainly is a welcome break they they get back uh at it against the orioles tomorrow kenta maeda will be on the mound and to talk uh, all things twins and mlb is dan hayes who covers uh the twins in the major leagues for the athletic dan good to visit with you again i hope you're doing well hey thanks for having me on steve yeah i i, I wanted to start instead of getting into kind of what, what the roster will look like etc um, so far, so good for the pitch clock. There have been some instances that have been amplified on social media where someone got a base or uh, you know, there was a base on balls, etc. But, but generally, uh, game in, game out, it has tightened up the games, hasn't it? It has, and I, I think that's a, a good thing. I, you know, it's going to take a little while for people to get used to it, and I'm sure, you know, Actually, the numbers have been up so far, um, TV ratings-wise, just because of the curiosity, I'm sure, involved with watching the pitch clock and seeing how guys handle it. Um, But there's going to be a whole new wave of fans that get introduced to it, you know, in April when the season starts or the end of March here when the season starts. And people are going to probably be a little up in arms about it for a little while. But in the end, they're going to see that they're going to bed a half hour earlier and I think they're going to be like generally. I, I would hope that they are appreciative of the way the games just seem to move along so much faster now. Um, and yeah, there there's little incidents here and there, but guys are going to get used to it. And um, I've I've seen people online rail about how careers can be impacted and how much it can mess up things. And and there's some truth to that, without question. You think. You know, I, I grew up a big Giants fan, San Francisco Giants fan, and uh, Matt Williams used to love to kind of um, bite his sleeve and, and, like, step out of the box and bite his sleeve two or three times, and, and it was his process. Um, can't really do that too much anymore. But the thing is, these guys are all extremely good athletes, and the, the top ones are going to figure out how to make do with it and succeed. And in two months, we're not going to hear about it nearly as much because – you know, everybody will get used to it. Uh, you talk about a big population of players that are in the league already who have dealt with it for years in the minor leagues. Um, the older guys are kind of getting phased out. Sure. They're, they're, you know, and so I, I would bet more than 60% of the population has played with a pitch clock at this point. It's hard not to have. I've, like, I, I just think that it's not going to be as big of a transition as people make it out to be. And, and in the end, if the games really are – 10 minutes faster even if it was five minutes faster that's great but if it was 10 15 20 
um, I, I can't see that being a bad thing for baseball. Yeah, it, move it along. And then I think beyond that, if the shift uh, allows more balls in play or the larger bases, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I, I, I don't think we'll be able to get as good a read on that over the short haul. But, you know, the pitch clock, and, and you make a great point, starting this in the minor leagues, and I think pace of play, you know, all the way along. So when they get into the game and realize that, hey, part of this game is on the clock. we we got to keep it moving. And it all gets back to the simple premise, and I've talked about it over and over, and a lot of people who love the game say the same thing. Let's go. Um, yeah. It, it, let, let's let's kid out the, the, the fooling around and the stepping off and, um, well, the, and the adjusting and I the equipment. It, it's to- that, that stuff totally makes sense in some ways because – we have gotten so process oriented. Uh, you know, the, the industry guys go through their process and they get mechanisms that, that help them get ready for the next pitch. And there is a lot. There's a mental side that will be impacted to an extent. But at the yeah. same time, you know, Sonny Gray said it best. He's like, I'm not going to be thinking out there. You just go, you get the ball, you go. And maybe you cut down on overthinking. And, you know, velocity, uh, there have been studies that show it. I think the Tampa Bay Rays were last year asking their pitchers to wait almost 30 seconds between pitches because it allowed them to recover and be able to throw at closer to full velocity. Um, when you have 15 seconds, pitches are the, the speed of pitches should go down because of that. Like there, there's you know evidence to that fact that guys won't be able to throw 99 or 100 on back to back to back pitches because. They just can't recover, and if they are, those guys are the super freaks that can do it no matter what. Um, but it, it should have a lot of different impacts on the game, and frankly, anything that gets people paying attention to baseball is a good thing for baseball. So I, I think that that's uh, where that we should start and kind of adjust, and we'll see how it all goes and plays out. And um, the shift is really interesting, and the, the lack of shift, um, you know, we saw it. I think it was Saturday, Joey Gallo, maybe it was Friday, Joey Gallo batted. The Red Sox brought one of their outfielders into short right field and played with two outfielders, and that's fascinating. You know, I mean, we're going to see so many different things happen throughout all this year. It's going to be a really interesting season for baseball. And will it be perfect? Probably not. But, you know, that's how you adapt, you adjust, and you figure out what's right for the product. But faster games, I, I think that's a good way to be going. Yeah, and it, it it all it all gets back to putting the focus back on the fans and and making it more interesting for the fans. You, you look at and it, it's been talked about over and over, but worth bringing up again. Go to an NHL game, they drop the puck at seven ten, barring overtime in a shootout. Game's probably wrapping up around nine thirty, two hours twenty minutes. Same thing with an NBA game, an NFL games. You, you can almost set your watch by the fact that you know noon kickoffs probably going to be done right around three o'clock. I mean, be, because of you know television and the next window opening up for the for the late game, and then Major League Soccer uh, continues to grow in popularity. Forty five minute halves. I mean that that's really getting down to pretty tight. You know, two hour, two hour, fifteen minute uh, time commitment with with extra time, et cetera. So, I mean, in in reality, 
MLB's got to think in those terms because they they are competing with many of these other sports at various times of the year. Yeah, absolutely, and and not finishing extremely late so that kids can watch. I mean, look, if you want to grow the game with young people and and get young eyes on the game, um, getting games over in a relatively uh, normal time is not a bad thing. Um, So, again, I mean, look, I do get why people are up in arms about parts of it because I I really love the mental side of the game. I love that that struggle and, and to see people try to figure it out. And, you know, there have been a lot of great hitters who have taken their time and, and just walk around and figure things out. Um, and it's just fascinating to see how they kind of adjust to this. But, you know, that younger population really is, uh, is, is already adapted to this in the minor leagues. So it shouldn't be too difficult for the majority of the league. And, you know, There'll be there'll be some outliers, some some older players. Max Scherzer, it's gonna be fun to see how he handles this whole thing. Um, but you know, I, I think it's just good for the sport. Danny Hayes joining us from the Athletic covers the Twins and the Major Leagues. Joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Going into the spring training, there was a great deal of optimism on how the off season had panned out and the moves that the Twins had made. Uh, depth. Veteran starting pitching seems to be a positive. But early in spring training, and it's still early in March, uh, there, there are a number of players that still haven't gotten into game action. The Twins are taking it very slowly with some players, working them into the mix. Uh, I, I think front and center is Byron Buxton. They're being very careful with Buck. Uh, Alex Kirilov is another one. Yeah, and... You know, between them and and Jorge Polanco, all three guys were sort of priorities that they said, look, you know, last year it was 24 days of spring training after the lockout ended. And that was, um, well, I would say that was a disaster. You know, I mean, it just, you you rushed guys. Um, I I wonder if some of the injuries, like I I wrote a story about Sonny Gray today. Um, When he got traded to the Twins, he had been throwing for four days at that point and, and because he had been ramping up and had um, a setback in his, his build-up program and had to shut down for three weeks. And he essentially started, I think, the Monday. The, the lockout ended on the Thursday. I think it was March 10th last year was the Thursday. Um, he started on March 7th throwing, and he got traded to the Twins on March 12th. He had already told the Reds after the lockout ended – Hey, we're gonna miss the first three weeks of the season. Um, it's just how it is. I'm, I'm, I'm behind. I haven't even thrown. And you know, you you look at it, and basically, he came to camp with the Twins. He did not tell them, and he somehow pitched um, the second game of the season. So he was basically working on throwing about 26 days, 27 days at that point. Um, the, this is the beauty of this spring training. It's back to normal. It's the first normal one in three years. And the Twins really want to make sure that Alex Kirloff, Byron Buxton, and Jorge Polanco are at their best. And given the injuries that they all suffered last year, I mean, Kirloff had the the doctors intentionally broke his wrist so that they could shave down the bone so that it wouldn't rub against the other bone. This is the most drastic surgery a guy can basically have. And so they want to do everything they can with him 
to make sure that his wrist is fine. And so far, everything's been good. You know, he's not going into the training room complaining of pain. There's some residual sorenesses that he's dealt with, but that's something that he's been told to expect. And and he's in a good spot right now. Um, so they're letting him basically strengthen everything around and get used to it. And they're taking their time. And with Byron Buxton coming off knee surgery, they want to do the same thing. You know, he's been active. He's been running. He's been hitting. But they, there's just no, you know, position players, it, it, it's a lot easier to get caught up than pitchers. Pitchers really need the six weeks. I think that position players could probably do it in three to four. And I, it's just a smart plan. I mean, Jorge Polanco is not a guy who really complains about pain ever. Last year, he had knee pain. You know, he always – he played through an ankle that caused uh, him to have surgery two years in a row – uh, the previous two off seasons, he played through it no problem, and and basically he was to the point where he could not play on his knee last year. So they they look at all three of these guys and how important they're going to be, and there's just no point in rushing it. You know they they feel like give them two and a half three weeks and they can be ready. And and who knows if Kirloff is going to be opening day? They might break him in really slowly um, because this really was the last gasp for his uh, surgery. There's, there's really no surgery that you can have beyond this. So I, you know, baby him, take care of, like get, get him as strong as possible. And I, I get the theories behind why they're taking their time with these guys. And, you know, you have six weeks on the calendar. You might as well use all of it. Well, Dan, good to visit with you and uh, get caught up. Uh, hopefully we can do it again. Uh, before the end of spring training, once again, a day off for the Twins. They're back at it with the Orioles tomorrow. Kenta Maeda in Fort Myers. Thanks again. All right. Hey, thanks for having me on, Steve. All right. There he is, Dan Hayes from the Athletic, uh, joining us here on News Talk, A3OWCCO. So far, there's a lot to like about the veteran depth they have among their pitching. Do they have a pure ace? No. We, we know that, but with Kenta Maeda and Pablo Lopez and the other guys, you, you got you got the youngster, Joe Sun, Ryan. Yep, Sonny Gray, Tyler Malley, Bailey Ober, Joe Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they've got the ingredients of a rotation I really like, and I, and I think they've sorted things out in the bullpen where I, I really like how that could set up. Uh, for the Twins. So starting pitching bullpen. And in the everyday lineup, they, they uh, got a break. Carlos Correa became available. They got it done. G- give them a ton of credit for hanging in there when the Giants and the Mets got cold feet. I think it turned out to be a good deal for Correa, a good deal for the Twins. Seems like a really good dude. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to hang out with him, but it, but it sounds like a good thing. But back to what we talked to Dan Hayes about, after some of the rule changes and that, uh, about how they're handling Byron Buxton, Alex Kirilov, and Jorge Polanco. Not concerned about Polanco. I, I, I think he'll be there. But what do we know about Kirilov and Buxton? When available, great. They, they've just been hurt. And hopefully it works out for Kirilov. And then ultimately we know with Byron Buxton, all the way up the ladder from the minor leagues to the major leagues, the the guy gets hurt. Any strategy that can keep them in the lineup, I'm on board. And, and I I like 
when Dan started talking about those injuries and just how they're going about treating them differently, this is also why I feel there's some cautious optimism around this team and keeping these guys healthy. I don't think, Steve, it can be undernoted the fact that you, ch- I mean, yes, you know, they re-signed Carlos Correa, and you, you know, you got, you know, you, you got, you know, Lopez in the trade, and and you know, you're upgrading all of this. That's fine and dandy, but they also upgraded their medical staff, and I don't think that's something that fans are going to notice. But if you're wondering about, you know, maybe a different routine for Byron Buxton or you know Alex Kirilov, the extreme, you know, they had to go back and they had to re-break the wrist just to try and make sure that it heals right. Like all of these add up. And when you're talking about a team that has been, you know, I, I don't, you know, say we want to say snake bitten or anything, but this team has had problems staying healthy. And if you have a new training staff that can take on a different approach to get these guys healthy, I'm that is just as big as anything else with this team. Yeah. Byron Buxton, if he can appear in 120 plus games, Alex Kirilov can be a regular. Um, I'm on board with that. They they need that. They're going to win this division and uh, maybe do a little damage in the postseason. Wouldn't that be fun? We have all the news, all the weather at 8. And then Wild Hockey with Sarah McClellan.